Good morning and welcome to New Church Live. My name is Angela Cooper and I work here. Uh, my role is just behind the scenes, logistics, and plugging people in. Um, and I just have a couple quick announcements to get us started. Um, we're big on community service here at New Church Live. And one of the things that we're working on right now is a beef donation. We actually did this a while back and we had the local farmer speak as a part of church. Um, he has a cattle farm and he wants to sell the meat at cost. And then we have a local organization that we're gonna donate that meat to that's gonna distribute it all around the local area. And it's a great way to get involved um, because meat Meat and high quality meat is in high demand and a lot of organizations don't have that kind of donations coming in. So he let us know that it's a great time to um, get involved in that way. And so we're hoping to get at least a quarter cow that we can distribute to local organizations. Um, and it's just a great way to get involved and help the local community. And we also at New Church Live wanted to maximize our donations. So we are going to match every dollar that's raised from this contribution and donate it to Heifer International, which is a global organization that supports farmers and infrastructure around the world. So we're gonna support the local community, you know, local to this area, and also maximize that gift and support the global community and their ways of getting out of poverty and helping their community. So it feels like a really great community service project um, that New Church Live loves to get behind. So the best way to contribute to that is you can donate the way you always donate to New Church Live, but you just select the community service tab. There's a drop-down window, and if you, if you select community service for the next handful of weeks, all that money is going to be pulled together, and we're going to be donating it to the local beef distribution, and then we're going to match it and give it to Heifer International. Um, so the way you do that is you text the word New Church Live, all one word, all lowercase to 77977, and you make a donation and just select that drop-down community service tab. Um, and we're really excited about this. The local farmer was really excited about this way of giving back to his community. So it's just a win-win um, and really helps people who are going through a hard time. And the next thing I want to mention is if you want to contribute and support New Church Live regularly and all the other ways that we operate here, it's the same way to donate. And it really, it supports this community service stuff, but it also you know, supports everything that happens here. The Sunday service, the live stream, the band, Pastor Chuck and all of his pastoring, um, the list goes on and on. So we really are dependent on your support. And however you attend New Church Live, we really encourage you to donate online. It's the best way to make a huge impact. And even better is setting up a reoccurring gift. I've done that. And it's just really impactful. It just builds throughout the year, as well as I don't have to, it's one less thing I have to think about. So I would just encourage everybody to consider doing that. And it's the same way of making a donation. You just text that word New Church Live to 77977 and make a donation. Um, and it's a really, like I said, it makes a huge impact. And if you have any questions about anything that I mentioned today, there's a contact form on our website or there's a chat window on our on the feed when you're watching the service. And if you put your information there or ask your question or go to our website, I get all of those emails. So you can always get in touch with me, always connect with me, and I'm happy to plug anybody in or answer any questions. So Pastor Chuck's coming out here, and I just want to welcome you all to New Church Live. So great big good morning. Can we all say good morning together? 
morning. I hope you said it at home as well for all those folks who are joining us this morning. Great to have you here today. We have a very, very special service. Some of my favorite services here at New Church Live are ones where we take theory, which is always fun to talk about. And then more importantly, we see how it's lived out. Like here's the theory and here's the practice. This is what it can look like in our lives. And we're so privileged and honored today to have Brian Henderson joining us as part of our, our team today. And he's going to be talking about his particular journey. And so the first half of the service, I'm going to be talking about the theory stuff. And then the second half, we're going to look at how this can look at in your lives. So as the musicians get ready to get started, I just want to say one more time, welcome to New Church Live, wherever or whenever you're joining us. It is truly wonderful to have you joining us. Good morning. Welcome to New Church Live. Beautiful, guys. Thank you. So, we ready to do some digging? We're going to be taking a look at, at, at that idea, yeah, of, of like being a minor, of, of, of not minor as in young, but, but minor as in like how do we work through stuff? How do, we, how do we continue to dig at this thing called a spiritual life? And I want to say, again, so much of New Church Live is based on this wonderful back and forth. So any of you are welcome any time during the service to text me at 215-740-3662 with any thoughts or any questions or any observations. And we sometimes work those into the service if this is your first time here. So, so today what we're looking at is this idea of, of placing us in a new story. Placing us in a new story. It's interesting to watch with life because life constantly has these blessings and breakings and, and we're asked to continually refine and change the story. I mean, how many of us have, you know, you think about when you were 16, what you thought the story would be, whatever age you are now, has anyone here ever actually had it be the same story now than you imagined at 16? I mean, I'd be a fighter pilot if that was me. Uh, we just see it very differently, like life just changes. And, and how is it that we learn to hold those things and hold them very tenderly, placing us in a new story? Now, to do that, every summer we do a Bible study. Now, what that means is we take a block during the summer when a lot of people are down at the shore, and we do it, or in the mountains, or wherever you go on vacation, we do it, we do a, a part of the Bible, and we just look through it seriatim, in other words, in a, in a line. And today what we're looking at is we're going back to our pre-COVID one we did a few summers ago. We started on Romans, and we're looking at this book of Romans, written about 80 years after the death of Christ. And, and we're going to look at these, look at a few chapters from it and try to do a little mining there, try to do a little digging and see what the new story is here and what it has to offer us. Now, now with this story, the, the author is the famous Apostle Paul. And Paul had his story very rudely interrupted. His story was, was that he was called Saul, and he's on this road to Damascus, and all of a sudden he gets struck down, he's blinded, and, and he had been persecuting Christians, and he gets told, you know, why are you persecuting me? And, and now it's time for you to actually switch teams, so to speak, and to actually become someone who's a proponent of Christianity. And he wrote many of the books of the New Testament. And again, it's a new story. And we regard these things that Paul wrote in our particular denomination, the New Church, we regard them as good books for the church. We don't see them as canonical per se, but we think there's really good stuff in here. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. 
So Paul hits this new story, and, and, and a lot of what he does is he starts writing these letters, and he writes these letters out to churches, and these are small, little, tiny churches. And they're trying to get it to work. And so he offers this input. And if you think of him today, we might call him a church growth consultant, is how we might refer to him. And, and he writes these different letters to different churches in different parts of the world, and, and that's what many of the titles are. And the book we're looking at today was Romans. Can you take a guess what city he's writing to, the church in? Rome. And he's writing to this church in Rome. And I think that's like so fascinating to me. I'm a history guy. I taught history for many years. I love history. He was writing into the midst of this culture that had occupied his homeland, land of Israel, modern-day Israel, had actually been the, the group that actually killed Jesus, actually executed him, crucified him. So he's literally writing this into this church, this small little group that is literally located in the belly of the beast. The, the, the belly of this really, um, this is what was a very, uh, in some ways, a very refined culture, like we can see that with the Roman architecture, beautiful buildings even to this day. But also, friends, it was a brutal culture. It was a brutal culture. And, and you have to sort of see it. Like, anytime we look at text, we have to understand context. Who was it written to, and, and what would have been their reactions? And you think of these people, like, they had a lot of reasons to be nervous. A lot of reasons for asking Paul, you know, what way they should move their lives. And he gave them those ideas. He gave them some, some beautiful parts of how to actually have a new story within this context that's really challenging. And what's fascinating about it, folks, is it's not about changing the context. It's not about saying, hey, we need to make changes out there. Now, obviously, there are a lot of times when we do need to make changes out there, but that's not the focus. The focus was in here. And what I want to put out there, what I want to share with you is this idea. Christianity grew not because of brilliant doctrinal statements. I love doctrine. I love doctrine. I love reading about doctrine. I love reading this stuff. But that's not why Christianity grew. You want to know why Christianity grew? Because it worked. It worked. People took these ideas and then they lived them. These ideas were written to very simple people. Joe and Jane, bag of donuts, just like you and I. And it worked. And their lives were better. Maybe the external circumstances never changed. And somehow, their lives worked better. Which is the ultimate test in a certain way. And why I love doing services like today, where we can talk about the theory, which is great, but then we can look at it with stories like Brian's and be like, oh yeah, this is how it actually worked in someone's life. Now, with those ideas, folks, what were the things that it brought? Well, here I'm going to read to you the, the, the story from this is from Romans 5. And we're going to be looking at peace, joy, and hope. 
And here we go. So peace, joy, and hope. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice. And, and that word rejoice there, I love this, folks. The word rejoice, actually, the Greek there is thrive. So you could say we thrive in the hope. Not only so, but we also rejoice. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That idea, folks, of, of this, this peace, power, and hope. Now, the first line there with peace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that idea of of peace, and it's, it's this peace, and again, if you're here for the first time, this, this idea of peace is not the idea of, of perfection, it's the idea of shalom. Love that one, I mean, it's one of my favorite words to say, <laughs> shalom. And it's, it's this deep well-being, like it's this deep well of well-being. And that idea of here's a God who's, who's here to give us this. And it's interesting with, with New Church theology, I was reading a, a description of it by a famous child psychologist by the name of Robert Cole. Some of you may know him or have heard of him. And he talked about our particular denomination. And, he's, and he said, yeah, you know, uh, Swedenborgians, were, they, they grew greatly in the 1800s because of their view, I love this word, of an intensely loving God. An intensely loving God what this peace is based on. Peace that we hold is actually the very essence, the very core of heaven. And then a fun one is this power. This idea that he's talking as well, and we're going to see this, this, this not power over, but power with. That was so much the time. The culture they were in, Roman culture, was all about power over. Everything was in a hierarchy big pyramid from the top on down. And here, here's a fascinating one, right? Like the emperor on the emperor's coins at this time was inscribed the emperor's name and then underneath it, the son of God. And here comes Jesus and his followers and here Jesus is constantly calling himself the son of humanity. Boy, what a different perspective that is. Power over, power with. And that power with was so critical to have. It was such an important part of, of what they believed and what these original Christians believed. And the idea, is, as it said in that first song, you know, let us gather around the table. It was this idea of table fellowship. Power with. I mean, just, just think of that, folks. Like, here they're saying, these, these original Christians were saying, yeah, the biggest power we have is when we all gather for dinner. <laughs> what a different view that is. So we have the idea of peace, we have the idea of power, and then we have the idea of hope. And this is so critical, folks. A number of times during the service, I'm going to tell you to take a screenshot. And this is the one I would tell you to take a screenshot of. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, now it's easy, again, to like read through that line really quickly, right? And you think about Paul offering that to these people who are living in an occupied land, living in this occupied land, and, and the fear that would have been around there, they clearly would have been, a suffer, uh, they clearly would have been suffering, they, they clearly would have been struggling. 
And here's the brilliance. And I feel like, man, my words are going to fall so short, so short of what I really want to communicate. So much of our lives is spaced, is spaced on, this, on this idea of we have to have these elements, and these elements will always end in an answer. So we have a bad thing happen, then we go and we get a diagnosis, however that looks, then we figure out a treatment plan, and then we end up with the cure. And many of you spend your whole day, your working day, solving those kinds of problems. And it may, may not be in the medical field, but, but it's all about solving a problem. Like, here's the problem, boom, 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 here's the solution, done, on to the next thing. Paul doesn't do that. I mean, this is genius, and my words will fall way flat of the import of this. Paul said, not you go through suffering, perseverance, character, to the answer. He said, the answer is hope. That's so different. This idea of a reimagined, a reconfigured, a, a relived hope. That's the answer. And it's fun because yesterday I had a wedding in New Hope. And that's what we're going to look at as the musicians come out. We're going to look at what does, this, what does it mean to actually place ourselves in this new hope? And that new hope, folks, it's simple. It's simple. Based on simple ideas. Simple ideas like remembering just to be humble and kind. Thank you, Emily. It's beautiful. That song is beautiful on so many levels. You know, it, it brings to mind a dear friend who's watching right now, Carl Parker. And it, it brings to mind is too, August 14th, my daughter's getting married, and that is the song my daughter and I are dancing to. So that'll be super, super fun. And I'm not going to cry. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Good luck, right? So, so we're talking about this this journey, folks, to this little train station called New Hope. This destination called New Hope. But how do we get there? And I want to say, like, it's, 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 I don't want to be Pollyannish about hope. You know, I, I find that some people, <laughs> this sounds horrible, please don't strike me down. You know, some people are obnoxiously hopeful. <laughs> and that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a grounded hope. A realistic hope, not sort of if you're a mighty Python fan and you think about the Black Knight saying it's only a scratch. No, it's, it's like, yeah, somebody's a mighty Python fan. You know, it's, it's, no, this is grounded, this is hope that is grounded in life as it is blessed, broken, and shared. That's a much more powerful hope. Why? Because it's accessible to all of us. And I think that's the hope that, that, the Lord talks about. I think that's the hope that the Lord wants us to live into. And it's, it's a powerful way to see it. Now on this journey, again, if you think of these towns, you think of these four stops of, of suffering, perseverance, character, hope, you think of these four, if you think of them like as four different train stops, I think that's much more helpful. For somebody who's really in the suffering of life, like it, it just... It's just a threshold moment, and their life just came collapsing down. Really hard for them to access hope in that moment. And really damaging sometime, sometimes if, if we try to 
put across to them or communicate them that there's some sort of great, and this comes from the sermon writing team, there's some sort of great spiritual bypass that they can take. They just bypass all the challenge and just get right to hope. Wouldn't that be great if we could? (laughs) This is not about navigating around storms. This is about navigating through storms. Not about going around, but about going through. And that's, that's a much richer view of faith, I believe. So there's no spiritual bypass, number one. And the second part, and this is, this is one, this is for our, you know, Brian was a former college professor, so I thought he would enjoy this one. This is a New Yorker cartoon. So Dante's Inferno was written about the, the levels of hell. It's a famous, famous, famous work of fiction by an Italian author. And, and the last circle of hell had the inscription, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And, and the fact is, yes, we're open. You know, we are always going to be invited to hopelessness. Always. The invitation will always be present to hope less versus learning to be hope full. And, and, that, and that invitation, again, we have to learn to say no to that particular invitation and to maybe start thinking of a very different invitation, a very different imagination. Not one filled with darkness, but one filled with light. And it's light to see life as it is. I want to be clear about that. Dark hope, you can't see a thing. But a hope that's filled with light can see things, including hard things, for what they are and and what they are in our lives. Now, what starts to shift here, folks, is this. The doctrine we believe And then more importantly, that kind of transforms into the new hope we have discovered. That's where we move it from just being an academic, the idea of faith being an academic pursuit, into this understanding, this this new deep hope that we have discovered. Here's the amazing part. You all have it. You may not believe me, but you all do. It's a really bad joke. I say it a lot but I know we have a lot of first-time people watching us today. What was the largest island in the world before the discovery of Australia? Australia. You know, it's there. You may not have discovered it yet, but it's there. And maybe, and maybe, my dear friends, we can learn today just this simple idea of, all right, so if I want to discover it, here's this slice of life where I'm feeling totally hopeless. I can't find hope here. And I think what God is constantly asking us to do is that, okay, I get it. Can you just bump your hands out a little bit? Still having a hard time finding it, Lord. Okay, just bump a little bit more. Still having a hard time. Just keep on bumping it. And eventually, friends, you're going to run into something. And that thing is called hope. And with that, I welcome my dear friend, Brian Henderson to the stage. Now, Brian, uh, Brian and I were, were joking around. We had, we had uh, 
lunch and Brian said, Chuck, I could talk for three hours. So just make yourselves comfortable because he's got a great- That's right, you're here for the afternoon. You're here for the afternoon. So Brian, we have a special friend who wanted, who wanted to uh, introduce you today. Hi everyone, the Kennedy family would like to welcome you to New Church Live. Our speaker today has taught us all so much about living life with poise, purpose, and passion. It gives me great pleasure to welcome our good friend, Brian Henderson. So. <laughs> thanks, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Matt and Eileen and family. Yeah. Yeah, they're friends who moved up to the Syracuse area. Matt was honored to be able to join us that way today. And Brian, so your story. First off, we'll get a big breath here. <sighs> so so, so your, your story, you want to give us the quick recap of what happened? Yeah, just very quickly. My, um, this chapter of my life started um, a little less than three years ago. It was Labor Day weekend of 2018. I, I woke up with a fever. Uh, by the end of the week, I was um, in the ER of Abington Hospital with a fever close to 105, rapidly losing use of my right leg, uh, experiencing um, temporary blindness, um, and terrified. Had no idea what was, what was going on. Um, about a week later, they determined what was going on, and that was I had contracted West Nile virus uh, from my backyard in Hatboro, mm. just down the street and that I had an immune response to that. My immune system went, uh, went haywire. Um, not to get too technical uh, medically, but what happened was my spinal cord uh, was inflamed and my body was beginning to erode the, the sheathing, the myeli, uh, demyelination of my nerves. Um, so I was in the hospital for uh, about a month and a half. And um, after about a month and a half of three weeks of intensive rehab there, I went home in a walker. And I was getting around. I was walking pretty well with a walker. And we can get into concepts of hope later. But um, fast forward a week and a half later, I was back in the hospital and I was completely paralyzed from the chest down. So uh, the West Nile had come back. I had never left my body. The immune system kicked back in. And this time my immune system was directly destroying the motor nerves in my spinal cord. And, uh, and I was functionally paralyzed from the chest down and I uh, went back into the hospital and was there for about another two months. And, uh, and the, goals, the goals were different yeah. uh, that time, which I, which I can talk about, but yeah. uh, that's a little bit of my journey. Yeah. Uh, and so the second time I came home at the beginning of December that year, uh, I came home not in a walker, but in a wheelchair. Yeah. And, uh, and that's just sort of a, a little bit of the arc. Right, and, and, and if you were to say like, you know, the arc, our stories always have these arcs, right? Could you share with us in a couple of sentences? Yeah, like this was the lowest time for me. This was the real low moment. Yeah, thanks. Talking about hope, you know, the first time I was in with the first diagnosis, uh, I was full of hope. Uh, I was told I had a 30% chance of a 100% uh, full recovery, and I was going to be that 30%. Mm. No doubt about it. <laughs> um, they joked in the, in the rehab floor. I was in the intensive rehab floor for three weeks, and um, they actually gave me pom-poms. My wife, Becky, and I, we're, we were the cheerleaders, right? Cheering all the other patients on, right? Uh, this was just a process, and, um, and it was going to pass, and I was going to get through it. Um, but when I went back the second time, I'm not ashamed to admit, I was, a, 
I was broken. Yeah. Uh, I had lost that hope. Yeah. Um, not being able to sit, uh, not being able to move from the chest down, and I think the lowest point was when a neurologist came and sat on the bed and he looked at Becky and I and he said, um, you need to be okay with the fact that you're gonna be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Yeah. And, um, and I think what was hard for me was just that knowing that my, I, you know, I have a different pr perspective now, but where I was there was I had to change my whole identity. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. You know, I felt at that point in my life that my identity was, was through physical activity and thinking, you know, how am I going to get through this if I can't, you know, silly things. But in the moment, you know, if I can't move my daughter home from college, I can't, you know, mow the lawn, I can't, you know, I can't help out, I can't do things physically. Um, and Becky would say every day, Brian, you're not your body. Mm. You are not your body. And I so desperately wanted to believe that, and I couldn't. Mm, mm. I couldn't believe that. And I remember those endless nights staring out the window, just praying, saying, I want to be okay with this. I yeah. want to find that hope again. Yeah. And I didn't know how. I wow. couldn't. Wow. I couldn't get out of that, that sh needing to shift who I thought I was. Yeah. And Brian, that's so beautifully said. And, and you know, like, it's, it's interesting so much of life, right, is, is we get the test and then we get the lessons, not the lessons and then the test, right? And, and, and we believe, you know, here in the new church, God doesn't inflict these tests on us. Like, that's not it. God's heart's always the first to break. And, and what did you feel like you were starting to come to learn, that you were starting to put together in your head that helped you move to a new place, not a place of being cured or anything like that, but helped you to be able to move to a new place. Two words, love and kindness. Mm. I was the recipient of so much love yeah. and so much kindness. I told Chuck, I could talk for hours about my wife, Becky, my daughters, my friends, this community, the staff at Abington Hospital. I just received unconditional outpouring of love and kindness. And, you know, Becky and I often, we sit out and, and we talk about how the countless lifelong memories and moments that were formed when we were in the hospital by the overwhelming acts of kindness of the staff there, and they weren't trying to create moments, they were just being themselves. <laughs> they were just being them. And so as I'm just in that dark place and I can't find my way out, I desperately want to, but I can't. Can I just tell two, two quick stories? So Amy, um, Amy was my occupational therapist, and we did lots of occupational therapy in the, the months that I spent with her, but but she knew what needed to be healed was my spirit. And she knew that the way to my spirit was reactivating my mind. And so more than the occupational therapy, we talked. Mm -hmm. We talked and talked. And then she knew I used to be a teacher. So she would go home at night. And this is a, a mother, a wife, mother, a young child. And she'd go home and at night she would write history essays and purposely put mistakes in them. <laughs> 
And, the, and she'd schedule me for the last session of the day because she knew those talks you know, were important. And she'd hand me the essays and she would say, Brian, tomorrow you need to return those graded. <laughs> but I need to talk about Maureen. Maureen was my, uh, my main physical therapist. And three years later, she's part of our family. She, she still comes see me uh, once a week works with me, and uh, the, the stories are endless, you know, from her making me protein shakes at home and bringing them in, and I, when I couldn't sleep at night, just watching the clock, saying, I can't wait till 7 o'clock, Maureen's going to come by. But I remember her saying, Brian, don't listen to anyone in a white coat. <laughs> listen to us. We're the ones working with your body every day. We see hope. Mm. But it's not even about that. I'd be in my chair and she'd crouch down in front of me in direct eye contact and she'd say, Brian, live simply. Mm. Every day, live simply. What's really, truly important in your life? And that's it. Through the months we spent together, she said, you know, Brian, you need to get that tattooed so you remember, live simply. And you know what? <laughs> she, those hard days, she'd crouch down eye to eye and she'd say, Brian, focus on what you can do, not what you can't. What can you do today? Mm. And lastly, she said, you need to find peace in the present, but never settle. That's so beautiful. Find peace. Focus on what is truly important, what you can do. Find peace, but don't ever settle. Mm. We could pretend she was talking about my physical body. She was talking about my spirit. Mm -hmm. I could go on and on with stories like that, and when you're surrounded by that much kindness, by that much love, how can you not find your way out? Yeah. Mm. The light was so bright, and when I, when I couldn't see how to get there, they lifted me there. Yeah. And they held me physically, emotionally, spiritually when I needed it. And then they were there to stand beside me when that's what I needed. Yeah. So, so just a little bit of my journey and the lessons I, I've said to people before, when I look back on my last three years, this is something that I never expected would have happened to me. And if I'm honest, I, I wouldn't have chosen it, but I'm so grateful mm. because I know or at least I hope that my perspective on life is different. Mm. And it is. It's just the seemingly little moments. I say, you have no idea. You really have no idea how transformative a seemingly simple act of love and kindness, how much that can mean to somebody, how much that can transform them, because that is what changed my life. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you, Brian.
That's that's beautiful stuff. And I was especially struck, you know, just one of the one of the uh, one of the lines of of New Church theology I love is Emmanuel Swinburne says, "What else is a life of worship but a life of kindness?" And I thought, like, that's what God's asking, right? It's what He's asking. He's asking us for that life of kindness. So, you know, with this, with the, with the last thought, right, we had these pictures of all these wonderful people who've, who've helped you, by the way. That just makes me cry looking at that. Um, you know, and what, what sort of last word would you offer to people? Like, this, this gets broadcast all over, so people will find it. And there's somebody who's going to be tuning in who's feeling hopeless. And again, understanding it's not about finding the answer per se, it's about finding the hope. Just a last word from you. What would you tell them? I would say it's, uh, I had to forgive myself. Yeah. I still struggle with that. I struggle with how I was when I was in that hard place. and Knowing that I wasn't who I wanted to be. And I, I have to learn to forgive myself. Um, it's not only about being kind to others. You have to start. Yeah. by being kind to yourself and, and sort of let that go and to say it's okay to be in that place where you can't feel the hope. Yeah. It's okay because that, we're going to be in those moments yeah. where we can't feel that or see that, but don't ever give up. Don't settle. Yeah. Don't give up. And a hard thing for me was accepting help allowing people, I'm not deserving, I don't deserve this, why me, you know, why are they being kind to me? Um, you see some of the pictures up here, I mean, one year after I was hospitalized, Maureen organized a walk and you saw how many people, friends, family, hospital staff came here and the goal was walk from the football field to Pine Run Park up, up, uh, up Buck Road. And the outpouring of support allow people to help. Well, tell people how long that walk took you. Um, so from the Osborne Field House football field up to Piner Park, what's that, a mile? I think it, uh, Leanne, what was it, two hours? Two and a half hours? <laughs> a long time. <laughs> it was a long time. It was a long time. Um, allow people in. Allow people to help. And as we heard in the song, you know, it's about staying humble and kind. And, and when you get there, don't forget to turn back around. Yeah. Oh, you know, don't forget to turn back around and offer your hand to the next person. Because we all need that. Yeah. That's all. You got nothing to add. That's beautiful. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Beautiful. That was beautiful. And, and, and I think folks, like, you know, that's what I hope you, you, you sense is, is like, it's not about the answer per se. There's many situations where there's not the answer, where there's not the cure, but because there's not the cure, that doesn't mean that there isn't healing. And healing always comes with hope. So let's just have a week where we write this new story and have it be a new story around a newfound hope that, that just keeps on bumping the answer out a little bit more until we eventually bump into it. And we see it. 
You're going to see it in other people. You're going to see it in yourself. It's, it's, it's like God gives us the ability to be that answer in a very quiet and humble way. It's a place where I think, you know, we see the love that is. It's a place where we see the good that is life. It's a place where we come to trust that new hope. As Paul said beautifully with his final words, he said this line, God's love poured into our hearts. Like, think about that. God's love poured into our hearts. What could be a better story? And brothers and sisters, what could be a better hope? Amen. What we're going to do now, folks, is we're going to do a prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer. Then we're going to say the Our Father prayer. Then we're going to do a little blessing. And then you'll have a time for just a little quiet contemplation as the, as the band gets ready for their last song. So please join me. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Lord, help us to discover again and again that new hope. Understanding that that is indeed what the answer is. That's what the point is. That's what the journey moves towards. A new hope that embraces goodness and love and trust and courage. Not by traveling around storms, but by traveling through them. And thank you, Lord, for Brian's wonderful words. Lord, thank you for his family who helped him. Thank you for his friends who stood by him. Thank you for the professionals who continued to help him to reach one more step. Your voice, your voice, always speaking to us through others and through the horizons you place before us. Let us live these lessons this week, Lord. Your prayer, our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. And my friends, bring you home. Amen.